Welcome back to a new episode of Two Idiots Taking on the World. Today we have brought on another expert um, to talk to us about um, culture, um, immigration, bilingualism, and everything that you would expect would go along with the Bhutanese flag in the background. So uh, <laughs> maybe I can now go ahead and introduce Anish to tell us about himself. Uh, hi, uh, my name is Anish. Um, I went to school, high school with uh, Sid and, and Adrian, and uh, I'm going to University of Michigan to study uh, computer science. Um, I speak three languages and I want to learn more. I'm studying I've been studying German for the last two years, and I want to, I've been taking uh, Arabic classes in, in college. And aside from that, you know, I, I like reading, I like uh, maps, and I just like m learning uh, more about the world. Very nice. So y you are a man of many languages, and I think I wanted to <laughs> open up the discussion um, talking about uh, the idea of the U.S. having a national, like, uh, language, you know, because uh, it, people say, oh, it should be English, but we don't actually have one. And I'm, I'm wondering, do you think that we should? I mean, there's, there, I mean, the main argument, like, for it is we all, you know, our, our language of commerce, our language of the main communication is English. Um, the lingua franca, if you will. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, it's what is what, it's what's commonly used. But I feel that there's not necessarily a need. I mean, what's, what would be the benefit of having a national language? It doesn't really change much anything anyways. We're still going to use uh, whatever language that would best suit the communication we're trying to make. Like if you go, you know, somewhere down in the, in the south of Texas or near the border, you're going to use Spanish more often. That's the lingua franca. It changes depending on where you are in the country and who you talk to. I don't really see the point of a national language aside from being nationalistic and, and, and in, in focus, I mean, you can have countries where if there's multiple ethnicities and they want to really make a power play and state that we are the actual uh, residents of this country, they can have a national language. Um, I'm not sure who's done that and already probably somewhere in the Balkans where, you know, language is a major contention. Um, you know, it's stuff like that that I feel is it's unnecessary to make a sort of statement like that. We are an English speaking language when we are de facto anyways. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like, honestly, what I felt was basically, like, yeah, it, it kind of like, yeah, we already speak English mostly in the United States. Adding, like, and also, as, like, the United States' demography is changing so much, I, I forgot the exact date. Somewhere in the 2040s, we're going to become, like, a majority-minority nation, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, insofar as that's yeah. true, if while we're on that path, we just declare like in the middle of it, like, hey, we never had English as a national language before, but I think we should have it now. Then it's kind of going to seem like we're just like really trying to resist that change. That's the only reason. I agree. Reason. Yeah, that's I, like, that's, that's it, the way I would see it, honestly. If you look at places like Europe, where the language is tied to the cultural identity, like, you know, France, French for France, England has English, uh, Spain has well, I'm actually not sure. Do they have multiple or just Spanish? Well, you Spanish. Yeah, because it would be Castellano. Yeah, Castellano. But, yeah. If you had, like, you know, the United States shifting, as you said, in 2040, we're going to see, you know, a lot more people coming from Africa, a lot more people coming from Asia, 
and then all these all these languages will mix up and then you'll see changes in, in demography where I, I feel that it's just it's something that we should have done before back when that was cool not now it, it just seems like there's more important things to look at as well as it just seems unnecessary and as I said before uh, strangely nationalistic it would it would seem out of place and and could be taken as you know a push in the wrong direction if we're trying to be contra uh melting pot as that is and i i think that like it's important to take into account like the actual context of how american english was formed um you know the, the reason why we speak american english much more phonetic than they do in england is because it was because people learned it that didn't speak English originally, like um, the Dutch, the Germans, the um, Gaelics. Um, they, um, when they came from Europe um, back in the 1700s, they all had to learn English as a language here. So the reason why it's different from England is because you know it's it, it has that sort of American immigrant flair to it. It's not yeah. the normal kind of like royal English. So mm. I think the idea of um, America's national language of being malleable um, and being um, sort of a like a, a living language uh, makes sense to me. Um, very much I, think, is. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I was, was going to say one more thing is that I I think to talk um, to sort of uh, articulate what the um, other side says is that you know as we move from um, into becoming a majority minority country. Mm -hmm. um, the question is, will we lose some of that American culture um, when we give up our language? I would argue that it's a living language and it should change with the times, but do you think there is any aspect of culture being lost by the English language transforming into a Spanish-English hybrid or something like that? And that would take a long... So, so those sort of language hybrids and, and pidgin languages, like, like mm -hmm. Creole and sort of stuff, happen, happen when, when cultures are, are there for a lasting amount of time and they're equally as dominant because there's no reason why you would only learn Spanish in America unless you're going to be with only Spanish speakers. And in that case, there wouldn't be any uh, like language crossover because you're just mm -hmm. speaking Spanish. But in, say, some place like, you know, Louisiana, per se, you know, French colony, a lot of French people there, and then English influence, and then Caribbean influence from like Spanish and other languages, all those people traded together for an extended amount of time, and you needed to know other languages to be a trader, to be efficient, right? Mm -hmm. So that causes pigeons to develop, you know, proximity, necessity to learn multiple languages, and then, you know, as generations change, that slowly forms a new language. I don't think that English is going to change in America for any sort of reasonable period of time, but I think we may see more and more um, loan words happen, loan words appear into the modern lexicon. You have, you know, words that are primarily spoken by Mexican families, you know, as they grow in population, become more and more part of the, the, the culture of, of the, I mean, the, the culture of the United States in, in general, you can see more of words that they use pop more into popularity. Um, we're, you know, we right now in the last couple of decades, um, right, say the last two decades, um, a lot of words that have been used by African Americans in, you know, LA that are words that have come up from mainly African Americans have become modern, uh, spoken English by the youngest generations. So that's sort of loan words, I should say. Um, although they come from English, it's more like coming from a subculture to becoming part of the larger culture. That's what I think will happen more and more. Um, 
maybe in the future we see more Chinese influence in the form of just certain words that describe certain situations that um, it's easier to use in Chinese than to make a new word. You know, as, as trade increases from that region, then they become more and more part of uh, our daily lives, as, as well as like, you know, political reasons. But there is also that idea that because of political reasons, there could be, you know, just complete uh, stagnation in any sort of foreign influence on English. It, it all really depends on uh, what sort of events happen in the future. Yeah, honestly, I don't know anything about like, I speak one, I barely speak one other language. <laughs> like, I don't know that much about these languages. I kind of understand what Anish is saying there. But I think like, going back to what Adrian was talking about and like the idea that our culture will change. Honestly, like, I, I don't exactly see what American culture would be like. Like, maybe there is some facets that are generally unique to America. But at this point, like, pretty much everything that America has, other cultures now have just because of the fact that it like spreads, right? Like all of the American fast food chains spread, et cetera. And I think like the biggest part of the culture that we have is what that that is ingrained in like the constitution and like, like the other American laws that we have. That's the only real thing I see as like American culture. Everything else is based on your like where you live, who your family is and like the subculture you were brought up in. Yeah, I mean, states, because America is so big, right? So, uh, sorry, states like California will have a much different uh, culture and how you communicate, how, what sort of things are, are okay than, you know, like Georgia. I mean, just because of how far those places are, the, the cultural composition, the, the idea that, I mean, as, as it's, a, it's a trend going on where Californians are moving for more and more towards the east in states like Arizona and Colorado, but that'll sort of mesh or, um, bring together those cultures together to form maybe like a, I mean, West Coast culture already exists, but maybe it'll become more uh, sort of distinct. But th those states are, are really resistant to it. I know they all hate all the they do. <laughs> in, in, influx of California liberals yeah. coming into like, I don't know, Arizona, Colorado, Utah, Texas, even, you know. Um, so I think uh, th the idea that um, people are, are resistant to newcomers changing their culture is inherent in any society, but whether it's oh, um, a state yeah. by state basis or a country by country basis. And I think that the reason why people feel so protective of the English language is because they see it as um, sort of a, a representation of American culture and they don't want to see people change the like emblem I mean, of, their, of, of American culture. I, I see that that sort of ideal is flawed because languages by by their design and by their nature are flexible and always changing. Otherwise, they die out, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you either adapt with the times or some other language comes over and then you're suddenly useless. I mean, uh, we, 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 use, we use all these languages to communicate for new ideas. We, we need new ideas. We, we need um, language to facilitate new ideas. Otherwise, mm -hmm. we can you know, progress as a culture. So I think like a, an interesting concept within America is that because we all speak English, it's something that, or because most of us speak English, mm -hmm. um, it sort of unites us together. And that is something that is, 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 is uh, unique. I mean, in some other countries, there is not necessarily a, it's, it's more pocketed in America, where if you go to like, you know, Catalonia, you'd see mainly Catalan speakers speaking to each other, but then Spanish is also known. There's two languages there, but 
in, in America, it's mainly like segmented in certain specific areas within cities mainly where you'd need uh, mainly another language, but you can still probably get by. Um, the, the idea that a language is tied to a culture is, is pretty you know, long-standing. It's cult language does in, uh, comprise or culture does comprise a uh, language within it. Um, but I, I do think it's an interesting uh, you know, idea of how will the English language or our English language, because you know, there is a distinction between UK English and, and our English that how will, how, how will we speak change? Um, I mean, of course, in the next you know, hundreds of years, we will see a great difference between the what we speak and then what they speak. And you can only see that between um, the English we speak and what's spoken, in, I believe it's an island in, in North Carolina or Virginia, where they speak the English that was spoken around when the settlers came over. There's, there's videos that. of that. Yeah, yeah there's, there's videos of it's. I believe, mm -hmm. I think it's in Virginia. It's an island off the coast of, of, of one of those states, Virginia or North mm -hmm. Carolina, where the English they speak is almost incomprehensible. It's it's very, um, it's it's reminiscent of what that English was at the time. You know, I mean, we see Shakespearean English, and it's you know somewhat similar to how we speak. You can mm -hmm. substitute Shakespearean words into our modern English, and you can get by. Um, but you know, as times change, people change as well, and I I think it will be very surprising to see how English changes in the next hundred years. Okay, I have a um, sort of more overarching question to follow up with that because uh, I, I think we can all agree that that language um, evolves and it's and, and over time it changes. But um, I think the question is in, in a multi-ethnic society like the U.S. in a multicultural society like the U.S., um, what can we determine to be our long-standing beacon of culture? Can, is it the constitution? Is it our lack of culture? Is it what what makes America America? And and if not English, what what is what is our culture? One thing that stands out about America that's uncommon amongst most countries is that I mean there is a couple, but the idea that we don't have a long-standing historical you know length of of, of culture and, and and documents and, and sort of history to look back on. We're a, we're a, like, what, a 300 year old country, pushing on to like a, around 300, you know? And that's something that's not very common. I mean, there, there are countries popping up all the time, you know, like most recently um, South Sudan, but you know, the Sudanese people have had a history of being in the Sudan. And the Sudan has been a region that's been inhabited for a long time and inhabited by you know, kingdoms that have lasted for a while. Um, like the, uh, the Nubians, I think, were in that region. But regardless, we have a limited history to look back on. I mean, if you compare European history to American history, it's, it's apples to oranges. One is standing, you know, a thousand years. The other one is barely 200 or barely 300. Um, so that's something that's unique. We barely look back and more look forward because some other countries look back onto what they've done in the past. They, they look backwards to, to great leaders and stuff. But you know, I feel like something that's uniquely American is that because we don't have that length of history to look back on, we always look forward to, to developing new things. And I think that's something that's American. Um, you know, innovation is part of our culture, uh, creating new ideas, entrepreneurship. Um, and aside from that, it's, it's, 
is not always a held belief, but the idea that because we're so fractured into different cultures, or not, not fractured, so to speak, but we're comprised of different cultures, that more so than most countries. I mean, th that exists in, in, in you know, many uh, European states and, and many Western nations, but I believe we are one of the most diverse countries in the world. And that sort of competition of ideas and competition of cultures and that all comes together to form an American culture. I mean, I, you can't say that there's one specific American culture because there's so many people here who have different backgrounds that, that it changes from time to time or from, from place to place. Yeah, uh, I guess my answer is a lot more simple. Um, if I'm really honest, I think like the biggest facet that I think is like a part of American culture is the idea of freedom, like in liberty mostly. Like that, it sure it's ingrained in our constitution, but even if it wasn't, it was just the idea that like we are all free and we're all free to lead our own lives. And that's, I think like something that, well, one, it definitely attracts a lot of immigrants to the United States and the idea that like America is a place you can just set up shop, create a new life and basically just explore you can become your own person right but it also lends to the fact that adrian also talked about which is the idea that like our culture is the fact that we have no culture the reason why i don't think we have a specific culture is because of the actual idea that we can just practice what we want we can believe in what we want we can have our own traditions per each culture and that's what creates america and american culture so to speak it's the fact that we are a melting pot and a melting pot that allows for more people to come. So yeah. would um, the, the idea of being free and free to believe what you think, free to create what you want and free to um, create any, any enterprise you want. Um, I, I think the question is how far does that go until it becomes antithetical to American culture? So the idea that are, are you also free to then um, dismantle certain institutions of American culture? It, it, is it American to promote communism? Because that that is the opposite of freedom. Um, is it American to promote protectionism or to promote um, anti-immigration policies? So I, I think that the idea of America being only known as like land of the free, I think I would agree with that. And I think that freedom does define America. Um, but I think that that sort of argument can be weaponized politically to say, what you're doing is un-American. When reality, oh, definitely. Um, definitely. When, when in reality, the idea to advocate for whatever you want, I think is American. So what, what I would say is that the only true facet of American culture is um, freedom of speech and, and the ability to um, live in a democracy where, where you can voice whatever opinion you want without any um, threat of backlash or, or like. Punishment. I think it's not threat of backlash, more of government suppression or like yeah government backlash it's mainly government because the idea is that mm -hmm. you know you can't be suppressed of what you believe in by the government but we don't have any rules that well i mean that sort of idea doesn't encompass peer-to-peer -peer sort of relations because that'd be too uh called invested in our own lives and that's it's, it's a dangerous boundary but in my mind yeah in my mind the idea that you can go against the grain, that you can, like, as you said, promoting communism, that's, that's very different to the system of, of, of government and economics that we have. Um, and that can be seen as un-American as being, 
you know, against what this country is literally built out of, which is capitalism, of course. But I feel like because we can do that, and I mean, this is, this is true about most Western countries at, at this point, but, you know, the fact that you can say things that is critical of the government, that you can say things that is uh, promoting another way of life is, is key, and it's important to, for, for democracies in general, is... I mean, now you go into the idea of, of protecting minorities when you when you think of like how much protection over what you can say is is good and what's overstepping the line. Um, you know, protectionism is also something you said, where you know changing the free market to 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 aid your own country. That's that's against what the you know, John is it, uh, is it Lockean? Is that what it was? John Locke, is he who did that? No. I'm not sure. <laughs> I can't remember uh, who did that. Adam Smith? The, Adam the Smith. One. Adam yeah. Smith. Wealthy yeah. Nations. Oh, Wealthy yeah. Nations. Yeah, yeah. My mistake. John Locke was the Enlightenment guy. Um, yeah. I, I think a, a, a cornerstone of American and most Western nations is that you can be different and you can be critical of what's going on. And that's something that we need to protect. Mm-hmm. Maybe ahead of everything, uh, probably at the. At the um, forefront of our uh, list of things we need to keep in order to stay free. <laughs> yeah, and actually, I kind of want to go off of what, like, Anish was saying, and the idea that, like, uh, you said, like, it's the ability to go against the grain, and I think, like, honestly, that, that, yeah, that does seem like one of the most American ideals, like, possible. I mean, that's what we were founded on, the idea that, like, no, we don't have to just, like sit there and you know like take what the king says. We can stand up and be one of the first colonies to you know get out of British rule. But even beyond that, right? I think it's something that I think should be more emphasized today, especially with the current climate and the idea that like you should not be ever classified by the group that you're a part of, right? And that occurs on both sides. I think like definitely Republicans, like I mean even if you just look at like some Christian Republicans and the idea that like they do not say like uh, some Christian Republicans don't believe that like gay people should, you know, be able to classify themselves as Christian. And then again on the left where they're also like, whatever, like Joe Biden says, you are black if you don't vote for me. Like those kind of things, like those are statements I would classify as anti-American and like you're allowed to believe them unless you implement them into law. And I think that's like, that's my view, I guess, on the whole situation. And if if you're Joe Biden, you're saying things like that. There's nothing. There's nothing. Say anti-American about that. It. It's just that the free market in the form of the voting population is just gonna not vote for you. That's the yeah. If that gets like, if it's like, I don't know. There's no way it can actually be institutionalized. But like any yeah. sort of institutionalization of statements of that nature, I think would be anti-American. One thing though, I felt was really interesting that is come recently was um i'm sure probably some of you've watched some of it but the uh, rally in, in tulsa that uh president donald trump did it like when he mentioned having uh, being arrested for burning the flag i felt that that's a gross crossing of the line of what Absolutely. it is to be american i mean being able to demonstrate your frustration how do you do that better than burning a flag i mean that's the most non-violent way of showing your frustration and anger and not, that's not, not the most I mean, nonviolent way but it's yeah it's not I mean, I mean i mean like <laughs> first you can protest 
but yeah. You just yeah. kneel for a little bit. I feel like that's that's something that's really yeah. important that we have to maintain is that like the government has to have thick skin. Like I mean the, the government as, as a whole, like you can do a lot without being violent. And by slowly restricting the things you can do to to go against the government, I feel like that's dangerous. And yeah. you know, wait, which state had that law? Which state had that law passed? Was it Texas? I forgot exactly. Uh, that I believe it was Texas. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't think they actually passed the law. I think it was just like I, I mean, yeah. I'm talking about like he wanted to see that implemented, which I think is just totally yeah, ridiculous. Right. I, I think that like for, for me seeing someone burn the flag like it, it, it hurts me I think that I find that kind of offensive but but there's I think reason that, behind it oh no they, they should absolutely be allowed to offend me yeah I think that that, that, that is that is the most American thing to for, for someone to be allowed to offend me deeply personally for someone to um, just like really just um, get at my political views and, and make me feel bad I think that that is the most American thing there is and I, I think I, I wanted to, to use that to most segue in, in, into this makes you what sound like we're all just like you know out there trying to like you know make someone else feel bad like oh i did my american duty today because you know i made adrian feel like shit. <laughs> I, 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 I really i really think that 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 is the 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 core of american culture is, is yeah, yeah, you is can being... allow that is the core of american culture like you should never be able to you know like say like you offended me now someone's gonna come and in and like the take core. you away i think it's something that's not very you know I mean, contentious of an opinion is that we've sort of moved away as a country from what we've originally planned this this nation to be in in, in multiple ways. Um, and I I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing because I believe uh, Thomas Paine who said like you know a nation is is held to the people who live, not to the people who die. It's the responsibility and it's the ownership of the people who are still alive within the country to to decide what to do with it. It's not about who, what was before, it's about now. And, you know, I, I'm not entirely, the jury's still out on that one. So, I, I yeah. it's something that's- And then there's also, that's also like crossed a lot of statements, like you gotta remember what people did do in the past, otherwise you're doomed to repeat it, et cetera, et cetera. And there's like, you know, definitely a lively debate there, but I agree, like, um, there's definitely no point. I mean, maybe, yeah, like, maybe there's some point in like removing the past, but like, you should always, focus on solutions for the future and for the present first yeah i think it can be both i i, I don't think it's this like false dichotomy of either you can think about the, the present or the past I, th I think that united states has a lot to learn from and admire both from the past and that we should use that to inform how we proceed in the future and i, I, I think that um both sort of sides make sense in that way because i think we can look at the framers of the constitution and, and, and look at the values they want to um, like inspire in, in the United States and choose which ones we think we yeah, want to keep exactly. and which ones we don't. Yeah. Um, Choosing the people who are who, who inhabit this nation must choose, of course, what they want. And mm -hmm. yeah, I agree completely with you. It's choosing about what we want to do. Yeah. And then uh, on on choosing, I think the question that I wanted to ask next was, um, I, I think that the main implication of what American culture is is how it interacts with things like immigration policy. Um, so I've, I've heard people on the right say that um, it, it, immigration threatens to destroy the core of, of the United States, that um, bringing in people who don't agree with our values yeah, yeah. destroy the United States, people who come in and um, bringing in Sharia law and those and people who 
um, you know, support honor killings or beheading homosexuals. Sure. Yeah, you yeah. know, I, I think like that, the, the, the question to be asked is that, is there some kind of standard of basic American morals or values you can hold immigrants to? Or is it just truly American to let in people who have views you might find horrendous and destructive? Or well, that, is, is, there, is there a bar, is there a standard? To that, I, you'd have to first ask whether you think it's better for immigrants to conform or for, American, or for immigrants to the United States to create their own culture by themselves. Because, you know, as I mentioned before, there are pockets within this country of, of just immigrants together and they don't, they don't need to change their viewpoint because they're living with the people that they're used to. I mean, that's how, you know, um, you know barrios, they're just, that, that's how they form of people from the language, countries that speak the same language coming together with the same culture and they don't need to change because the people who they live with are the same people that they, they came in the old country. Is that okay? Is that something that's, that's beneficial to the country or is it preferable that they conform to standard American culture which but, but, but barrio culture like has become imbibed into American culture in a way and I, I think what, yeah. the, what the fear is of immigrants coming and bringing different cultural values is that their values start to shape the culture as a whole because I think that each individual isn't that, isn't that good then because we're a nation of the people I mean the people decide what the nation is going to look like if there's no I'd agree I but but the question is should there be a judge and jury who decides which ideas are better to shape our culture and which ideas shouldn't be? Because some on the right would say that there should be. So I think that, that, that's the main question. In my mind, that, that body is just the people of the entire population. So, so whether the people rejects the cultural values that, that come in? Yeah. Like, it's, as it's kind of a facet of free speech. Idea. Like, look, you can say like, like, I'd say for probably like every single immigrant you say comes in who doesn't have like the same values there's also a person born in america who doesn't share the values of whatever of their course. family yeah, yeah. The constitution, right mm -hmm. and you're not going to like go through americans and kick them out right the idea is more of like i think fundamentally maybe like the only value i actually care about is the one that you said before which is like you have to care about freedom of speech and you have to believe that everyone should have the right to you know believe and say what they want right mm -hmm. as long as that's true i don't care what else you believe in because proliferation of ideas then it just becomes politics. Yeah. yeah, proliferation of the proliferation of the ideas means that the best ones float to the top, and like you know maybe people's cultural values change mm -hmm. if they're actually like really really bad, and if they don't, then like I don't know, you can still probably believe your values and not hurt anyone. Yeah, so it, it's the idea of using the free market and freedom of speech to let the best ideas win. So if someone comes in preaching Sharia law and everyone's saying, well, uh, well, we don't want to live under sharia law then, then, yeah, then that's, the, not, that's the way of yeah. ideas losing right and yeah if it comes to the point where it needs you know government uh correction then that would be the people voting for that that would be legislation being taken mm -hmm. and put into place and that's still the voice of the people now on the opposite side if sharia law were to be accepted by the majority of the people in this country and passed, mm -hmm. that would not be a bad thing. Not because I disagree with Sharia law, no. but because the majority of the people in this country have agreed with it. And that's just the voice of the people enacting their oh, wishes. Yeah. This is something Adrian and I have discussed. I have. Online for a little bit. It doesn't, matter. it doesn't matter my opinion of it. 
it just matters what most people in this country want. But I, I, I think yeah. Sid and I have a case that it, that it does matter. So Sid, if you want to maybe introduce a little. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, basically, um, in terms of like, yeah, but basically like the idea that we had, and this is, you know, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the idea of negative liberties, but it's the idea that like, the idea of a negative liberty is the idea of a right. Like the fact that you have a right to free speech is something that you would oh, have regardless of whether you had the government or not. It's I just see. something that the government could restrict. Right? Yeah, isn't that to, what um, Hamilton said or something about writing the uh, Bill of Rights? Is that by yeah, I think for most of the enumerating them, like you're limiting them. Yeah, so, yeah. so the Bill of Rights is all negative liberties then, right? Yeah, they're all negative liberties, right? Like regularly you would have, you know, like, uh, for example, regularly you would be able to purchase a firearm. It's only a question of whether the government has the ability to restrict or not restrict, and that would be the Second Amendment, right? So like, like so all, a, a, yeah. a positive liberty is like Medicare for all, right? Yes, that's a for okay. example. That's or it's something that wasn't liberty. natural that's been created that's exactly now something. Okay, I get it. Yeah, so it would, you can think about it more like a public good, right? Any public good would be considered a positive liberty. It would be something that the government gives to you by virtue of you being American, right? Mm -hmm. And it would be something that I'd say for positive liberties, the thing that Adrian and I came to is the idea that like a majority of the people have to agree on it. And that's how, you know, like, I guess it would be a regular democracy. And if that's true, then sure, it should be implemented. But the idea of negative liberties, right? If there are components of Sharia law that take away from other people's liberties, the only way those components could actually be implemented on a government level is if we said some sort of supermajority agreed and then- a consensus. Yeah, consensus, yeah. right? So that was, we decided on like around 75%. I mean, and like, I, I was using that as just an example of, mm -hmm. you know, something that's controversial and not necessarily like universally uh, but but what, what I think it does though is is, is points out the, the flaws of just allowing for the rule of majority and sure, on, yeah. on, on a cultural liberty standpoint. Yeah, we always need um, protection of the minority. That's also a part of American culture. Yeah. So so the the idea of of um, whenever you are enacting something that takes away someone's rights in any way, um, that it should be like a consensus that 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 is what's correct to take away that right or take away that, that liberty. You mean that it should be the, the by vote of the minority that they're giving away those rights? Yeah, because for, for example, like, like let's say there's, there's well, there's like 13% of the population right now that's African-American, right? Sure. And let's say the, the, the majority has voted that we should not allow African-Americans to vote anymore. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden you have this, this subset of the population who didn't have any say in this. And now the, right, the, right. the, major, the majority is telling them that this isn't okay anymore. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that the idea of um, having a much higher bar for things that take away your liberties is important. And, and I think that, that, that gets at, um, again, a core tenet of American culture, which is our constitution. Because to be able to change anything in that Bill of Rights, you need like a very high bar of support. I think of course, there's yeah. like a certain amount of states that need to pass it, like Congress, the president. Like, yeah, it, it, it's an insane amount. I think that, that gets at the logic of um, to... Uh, ever take away someone in the minority's rights, you need to have a very strong consensus. Yeah, yeah, that, that's just another part of protection of the minority. I mean, I, I meant it is, you know, important that majorities just can't um, abuse minorities just because they're more of a, I mean, that, that's something that's, you know, written in our constitution as well. That's why we have, you know, Senate, the House of Representatives. That's why we have, um, all those two-thirds sort of things, yeah. Electoral yeah. college as well, yeah. Mm -hmm.
because you know uh, the marketplace of ideas because it's so large majorities in the smaller districts can't just overrule the minorities because they have to be concentrated and if it becomes the actual result of the uh, marketplace of ideas then it must be the actual super majority because it must, yeah. it must mean that like a majority of a majority of a majority actually likes it and then at that point you know that's like most people liking it like by a, a big margin so mm -hmm. So, so, so then I, I, I guess the, the question is when it comes back to like culture and values and, and, and what the United States is, um, when you're allowing immigrants into the country um, and, and they bring with them views to, um, you know, um, try and take away liberties of Americans already living here, is that an issue? You're asking if people who become Americans or are just living in this country, I guess. Um, although living in this country and being Americans is different because one can change our government and influence our systems while yeah. the other cannot. But I'm, I'm just gonna answer this as if you said becoming American. Um, so let's say someone you know comes to America and they become naturalized and become a citizen and they're um, against gay marriage, sure. Yeah, for example. Or, I mean, you can say something more, but I'll just choose that. Mm -hmm. It's their right to believe what they want. They can believe that, but the moment they act upon it in a violent manner, then that can be punished. But if they, enough Should of them- be punished? I mean, not, not, not because they're, I mean, that's part of the social contract is that you give up some of your rights to get some sort of protection from other people. That's just, but like the, uh, the protection yeah, from true, someone advocating against gay marriage. No, 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 no. I meant like violence, as in like you get stabbed. Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I just meant like personal protection, as yeah, in like uh -huh. you know, if I if someone just hates them enough that they're just gonna go stabbing people, then you should have some sort of uh, way to get you know compensation at least. Um, but regardless of that, if enough of them get became a, a voter block and then suddenly vote their own. Their, their ideas into into law, then that's just part of the political process. Mm. There's nothing that can be done about that. That's just, you know, it's a belief, it's politics, it's just how it works. I would agree. Yeah, and then I also think, also I feel like if we were to continue that a little bit further, right, if it truly was something like absolutely horrendous, right, like whatever example you want to think of, of something that like potential immigrant value that could come to this country that would not want to be implemented, then we're gonna probably figure out pretty quickly that it's a not very good idea, right? And then, then we have like, I don't think it would be that hard to create the reform process to you know remove that, whatever it may be. Because in the, I mean, going back to the idea of like the consensus, right? If you do somehow achieve this consensus to take away somebody's rights, you only need about 25% support to reinstate those rights. And that's like the difference, yeah. Yeah, so I think as, as long as we maintain really high bars and it, like the, which is enshrined in the constitution of, of it's what? very difficult to pass laws. That's why I mean uh, it's super slow process to implement laws and especially to make amendments and, and changes to mm -hmm. the constitution itself because of this reason. It's because we cannot think in the present in this regard, we cannot think in the present, we must think about how it will last in the future. It must be long lasting. We cannot think of a law that will stay for two years that's what's the point of doing it yep 
I mean, this is yeah. just a country that's lasting millennia, or not millennia, but like decades. I, it's really hard to think that far in the future of a millennium, but maybe a century. Let's just put it a century. Yeah, I think we got some time left. I don't think we can make a century. <laughs> <laughs> At this rate, I'm not sure. <laughs> hey, I, I think we can. I'm supportive, hopefully. Because, I mean, I don't, if we don't, you know, I don't know, man, I want my children to live full lives. That, that's the thing. Yeah. Mm. But, but yeah. Also, um, basically, like, do you, like, think that now the current system that we have in place, because I know there's definitely a lot of, you know, commentary from the progressive side saying that, like, yeah, the fact that the system is set up to be so slow moving, right? I don't know, like, for example, uh, the filibuster was a pretty big example in the past in the Senate, right? So is there, like, a balance, right, between remaining is what you know and exploring new ventures and do you think we're at that balance too far in either one way what do you think yeah the government is sort of the way our government is built is sort of against liberalism in in the way that it's really hard to push liberal policy forward not in that like completely putting aside you know voters and and that sort of idea it's just the fact that it's really hard to push major reform policy and major like liberal policy in the in the government itself and it's easy to remain a conservative and just remain what is because you know that's just how it is um but you know if if we were to change that would that i think that would be a, an error i think it, it's important for governments to be able to have a high bar as you said for change and that you know being it has to take a great force to push the wheels of government into motion and there are criticisms for that i mean you know it, it took so long for you know civil rights to be implemented in the place just because you know it took population changes it took education changes it took uh, political organization changes and that that's like a it took a, a combination of many um events coming together to create you know what is now a cornerstone of american history you know the civil rights and then an expansion of that um, but I think that's, it's, it's an issue that has, it's, it's not a perfect system, but I think it's a, it's a sacrifice that has to be made for mm -hmm. a competent government. Yeah, I, I, I mean, the, our, our current government system has created, has made America to be a lot more conservative than like, um, European nations, for example, like when, when, when we say our uh, like Democrat and Republicans are, you know, liberal and conservative. Both parties are actually more conservative than any of the um, left-leaning sure. parties in Europe. Sure. I mean, right? we don't and, have a far, I mean, according to our system of government, because in other countries, left and right are sort of switched. Uh, that's classical liberalism versus like our liberalism. But regardless, we don't have a really far left party. We have far left people, of course, but there's no... I mean, that also comes consequence of the fact that we have a two-party system. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's my personal belief that that's, you know, a, a, a mistake. But I actually was, was thinking about this recently on whether or not a multi-party system would be better for America, similar to how, like, coalition governments work in, like, say, India. Or, like, that sort of idea where it takes compromise. Because if you think about it, I mean, compromise is, is a part and part of, parcel of politics. It's 
almost necessary to compromise with liberal senators to bring their vote into the fold, you know. But that sort of idea of needing a coalition of of different ideas and then putting a putting a um, a mixed sort of government into place where multiple ideas can be possibly uh, put into place aside from just being liberal or conservative. But that would just be the Senate, of course. You also have the Supreme Court, the executive. Uh, it's, it's complicated to push stuff into motion unless you have a majority, which is what this is. Not even a majority, because a lot of these changes are actually like um, exact symptoms of um, the wheels of government taking a lot of force to move. Because I, I, I would argue, I mean, I don't think I've met anyone that's ever advocated for a current two-party system. I don't think anyone is satisfied with it. But there are certain yeah. changes we can put into place, like changing how we vote, like um, um, and our current like. Um, Anish probably knows about first past the um, post single number. Oh, yeah. That's now, all, I cannot all, all understand. These, like, I cannot understand some of the ways that our our voter systems are made in some states. It's completely. Uh, I can't understand it. it. Like I know that many of these are designed in order to be advan advantageous to the state that's in power, but it's just. Like there's so much in our government that's that's very, um, it's, it's thinly veiled or veiled in a way that it's kind of difficult to to dismantle, and that's just part of partisan politics becoming more and more uh, part of our government, and as well as the you know separation between the the two major political parties. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen we that. Are, but, uh, for the idiots in the room, do you want to explain uh, what first past the post voting is? I think I'll let Mr. Adrian Rafiza explain that one. I think he probably knows it better than I do. Well, I mean, okay, I, I, I could go in depth explaining it, um, but I, I think I'll just kind of give the main takeaway of the system, which is that th there is certain infrastructure in place which makes it impossible for a third party to win. Uh, and, and an example of that is, for example, like I am a registered Republican, but I think I'm more of a libertarian. Um, and I really want to vote for. Um, Joe Jorgensen in 2020 is Libertarian Party candidate. I didn't um, know. <laughs> but I'll, I will be voting in, um, in a swing state next year in Pennsylvania. And I don't want to vote for Joe Jorgensen because in, in, in my view, that's just wasting my vote. And it's, a, and it's a vote taken away from the Republican candidate and given to the Libertarian one. So that kind of like strategic voting yeah. is 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 what makes the system not work for third parties. So basically all, all you need to know Lindsay, all you need to know is that third parties can't win in our current system. But the the, the yeah. idea is that there are changes that can be made that we see in Europe that make it so it's permissible for multiple parties. But the idea that government is slow moving here means that we can like either never or it'll take a long time to achieve a lot of those changes. So mm -hmm. I think the 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 question is Sure, it's good to have that kind of system where the wheels move slowly, but uh, doesn't that kind of disenfranchise us in some in some respects? I mean, there is a, a, a way. There's a way to move policy in your favor forward, and that's just having, you know, a majority within the branches of government. But who cares about first past the post voting? <laughs> you know, how will that ever have enough have enough? Political people behind it to, to change to it ever amend the constitution in favor of how we vote or, or to get rid of the stupid electoral college things like that how, how will you ever get enough political capital to change something as mundane as how we vote education and as well as 
you know, there, I feel like because of the uh, 2016 election, you know, the Electoral College, actually, this is, it seems like it's a, it's a new thing, but really the Electoral College, you know, changing the voting of who wins has actually been a longstanding thing. I mean, that happened mm -hmm. with, with Bush as well, I believe. Um, In 2000. But, yeah. You know, it's, it, it, it informed a lot of people, one, of how our voting system works, two, of how, you know, crazy some of this, these systems in place are. And I think it takes, you know, some events like that to really inform people about it, as well as to give them the motivation to change it. Because, you know, it's, the Electoral College isn't um, democratic. It's, it's taking away the vote from the people and giving it to, and in a way it's democratic, but that's regardless. But in situations like that, it takes, you know, both, like as I said, education as well as an impetus, something to, to trigger people to, to want to change it. And that, those are rare. I mean, it's, 2016 was an example of it. And there were calls for people, you know, on, I mean, I guess they were on Twitter or something, but it was very limited in scope. But there were people who wanted to change it. But that's, that's hard to do because... So hard. <laughs> even, even, even putting aside the fact that the established political parties will likely go against it specifically because it's disadvantageous to, to them. Because if you remove that sort of that bias towards a specific party and allowing third parties, I mean, that's no one wins in regards to the Republican or the Democratic Party. It, it's gonna, it's it's weird. We we have a lot of political um, capital behind social changes, behind uh, you know civil rights, because you know those are easy, relatively to get behind if you're in that sort of idea, if you're in that sort of um, zeitgeist, but. You know, as you said, who cares about first past the post? It's not important to many people, but it's an intrinsic part of how we, we, we govern and how we vote. And it robs a lot of people's, uh, you know, their, their political power. Mm -hmm. And it's a shame. I mean, we're, I mean, it's, it's my uh, understanding, but we're unlikely to see a third party rise to power anytime soon until perhaps some some people of the Republican or uh, uh, Democratic Party fracture off, which has happened in the past, you know, um, but, you know, maybe it's the blue dogs or something else, but I think that might happen as more and more people are seeing people like Bernie Sanders and, and um, other uh, candidates who are not underneath the wing of the established Democratic Party and see that this isn't working for us. Let's make a new party. And that's, of course, you know, very difficult. But to, you can't just guess. make a new party. You need to change the whole structure. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's, it's, it's not mm -hmm. something that's going to change unless there's a great amount of public support for it. But, but yeah. the, the question is, 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 the, is that just collateral for, for a system that um, prioritizes pragmatism and, and prioritizes lack of rash structural changes? in that we can't change things like how we vote because i think that the argument behind maintaining really high bars for progress is that it um it, it makes sure we, we we don't implement really rash um big changing policies and that we're more pragmatic like conservatives like to call themselves the, the pragmatists right so yeah. I, is it is it is it worth it like, like where where is that trade-off and, and what is the bar and where is the line we draw and say okay maybe it's worth it to you know loosen up a bit and allow for more changes to come and flow through faster I mean, if, if it was obvious, Honestly, it would have been put in place already. 
but let's yeah, talk honestly, about it. I mean, like, <laughs> sure, sure. Honestly, like the way I see it is, I mean, the bar is and always should be like the people's opinion about the policy. Like, I feel like, like even if I was against, like, for example, Medicare for all, the fact that it has like a huge amount of support, I think, would mean that like at the very least we should try it and then creating a flexible system goes both ways because creating a more flexible system means that yes you can implement like you can create experiments right and like see how it goes and then you can also really quickly adapt and fix that if it does not go well or if it does go well you can really quickly scale it up and there are like a bunch of different examples and also i think like maybe using like states and other localities as sort of like mini experiments there's a yeah. lot of like for example ubi is going yeah, on i was, was gonna say yeah era, right like, you have a lot of tests right mm-hmm. you yeah. have like i don't know I'm, I'm trying to approach this from like some sort of computer science perspective and like that's the way in which you would have to like go about it yeah you just upscale it it's yeah i mean you mentioned ubi i mean ubi has been something that's been tested since like 1980s i think yeah, I mean, it's a thing that's been in, in, in practice, and it's I mean, that's something that's been put more into into the zeitgeist because of uh, you know the recent election candidates and, and people who suddenly realize that this might be something that's useful, and it, it it takes stuff like that. It takes people who are really pushing that idea into in, in, into public policy, and then that that's all it takes is people need to be informed, and then people need to have a reason to 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 want to do something and that's hard i think that's hard and i was gonna say i think sid brown have a really good point in that we are so like used to just thinking about the federal government as the be all and, and end all of everything. Yeah. but i, I think State what politics. we should think about is like the idea that you're right it's much easier to experiment and um do these fast flying changes in localities for example like in california we like have a vastly different voting system than different states because we actually have a nonpartisan blanket primary which means that like the voting system is that um there are no partisan primaries everyone just runs and um no matter what party against each other um and and that's created better outcomes in how we elect candidates and that's been tried in california but to be able to like change that at a federal level is is really hard so i think that the the something great about the united states is that um, our states, counties, and city governments are so much more flexible to our local values and, 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 and what like the actual local citizens want. And that I think that it, it, it is totally fair that the national government doesn't have that big of a role in a lot of these, you know, sweeping sort of changes, because I think that a lot of times that is the role of um, localities so, yeah. and, and smaller governments to um, do those sorts of experiments but then there's there's one other concern which is um what about things that can't be local you know what what about um things like regulating carbon emissions or um regulating gun sales that can go from state to state that there's certain things that have to come from the federal government as well so i think that yeah that's a consideration to look into and in those cases there is no recourse i mean for for gun um requirements that's by having it be state to state it's essentially useless i mean if someone is right really, it is, if yeah. someone is really uh determined to buy a gun you know despite their mental capacity or, or uh, state they can easily go about it and just take a couple of days drive to whatever state is near you mm-hmm. um 
But you know, there's stuff like universal basic in income, which can be put in state by state. And if you know, people will change their mind if they see their friend from California who was living out of a box uh, two years ago is now suddenly working uh, at a dollar store and saving up for buying for a new job. You know, that's, uh, that's the beauty of it. Yeah. It's economic uplift, and it's 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 easier to climb the social ladder because of that. And there are certain cases where we can do that. And there are certain cases we can't, and that's just, that's just how it is. But I think that you know, after the states handle this current crisis, there is a lot of there, the, the the generation that that is coming to be the largest for the millennials are going to have are there are educated better on political issues, and they have more things to talk about. And I think, I hope, I hope with all my heart that after this is over, there will be great social change because I feel that as a country, we are stagnating and regressing in certain issues and there needs to be change. Otherwise we are going to fall off the wayside and get eclipsed. Wait, by just for reference, which crisis are you referring to? Because we're going through a lot right now. Which yeah, one? you're right. You're actually right. <laughs> I should specify. Um, of course, COVID-19 and then, you know, well, I thought it was like racism, but okay, sure. Right. The yeah, thing sure, is, though, yeah, sure. The, the the Black Lives Matter movement fight against uh, you know, systematic racism and because that's forces. causing a lot of local change. You know, like a, 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 the the of bulk course, of all yeah. of the change has been in localities, right? which I think again is a testament to how awesome America is at, at getting local I just, governments. I really to wish that act. this movement hadn't happened during COVID nineteen because I think it lost a lot, or it wasn't able, or I guess I should say, yeah, it lost many people who aren't able to come out just because it's dangerous outside. It still is dangerous. And the people who are protesting are, are risking their lives for something that they believe in in two ways. One, they might get beat up by police. Two, they might get sick and die. So, you know, power to them, but I really hope it lasts long enough to outlast COVID-19. And then once that's all over, we can, we can really put, you know, policy where our, our mouth is. Yeah, and also, but I'll, I mean, I guess this is going off a little bit, um, but I think like, yeah, I also feel like we wouldn't have had, like the killing of George Floyd wouldn't have had such a huge impact if it was not for coronavirus. I mean, like just in general. I actually agree with that, yeah. Yeah. No, we're you think all because just, everyone was at home looking at their news screens that more people got informed of it? Not even that. It's just like the fact that nobody's working. Like if everyone oh, so more working, people can come out. I see. Pretty much, yeah. I see. I mean, I see. like, I think these, if I'm not mistaken, these are some of the biggest protests we've had, like concerning race since the civil rights protests, right? Since uh, the civil rights yeah. movement, I'm not sure. Can you, can you take into account the online factor of it too, which is just I, I've never seen the Instagram, Twitter, Facebook community being more yeah. politically yeah. active. It's great. I've never seen that. It's, it's, you know, it's I awesome. Just, Everyone's just involved in this. I, yeah. I agree with you now. Now that I, I understand this more, yeah, I, mm -hmm. I understand how that that played much of a role, but, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's getting shit done. It's, 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 it's awesome. I it's really easy. hope that people learn from what they've been educated or people change how they think and, and, and in, 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 they imbibe the lessons that they've learned during this period. Like, you know, one, they're must be police reform, either in how they are funded or how they are educated. Two, there are certain changes that need to be made in how we 
deal on a federal level with, with emergencies and, and disasters because you know there is a lot of of, of bureaucracy that and, and certain like miscommunication that occurred in the first couple of weeks that set us behind so much for further back than countries in Europe, which you know have have done a great job and then you know just certain certain actions certain um, political issues that must be taken up after this is over and hopefully are, are cemented into our into our government but that all that all takes you know consistent continued application of our of, of, of your beliefs in the form of uh, demonstrations yeah, and I, yeah. I think what's important to note is that a lot of these changes are happening at the local level. So, mm -hmm. um, and, and I think the, the best place where we can like voice our opinions on, on, on and what we want to see change is at city council meetings, is talking to your county supervisor, et cetera, to get them to change our localized police force. And I think that- Because uh, it's, it's, it's going to be hard to change the federal, but if you could make it in the local, then that's you know, a cemented idea and, and more people will- see if it works and then if it works it'll spread mm -hmm. and then that's just the goal yeah and i think one of the best ways to like kind of alleviate the you know where like you've all been describing like the fact that the wheels of government take a long time to turn is kind of making the federal government a lot more receptive to the work that the states do and the localities do yeah. that's something like sh like it's something that i remember noticing when i was like looking at the ubi because i said like I knew that a lot of these places were having like experiments about the UBI. I had no idea how they were turning out. And that's what's necessary in order to like create actual change because you have to not only like, like you have to know about other localities and their processes for it to eventually make it up to the federal government, I think. But it, isn't the system for which the federal government is receptive to these policies the ballot box? Like, wh how else would you change that? Like, like what, course, what would there's you propose? No, there's no way yeah. to change it aside from the ballot box, but all it, it really takes more people seeing that things are working and that it's beneficial. You know, just by mm -hmm. by moving from from county to county, all the more counties will see it, and that eventually becomes a state policy. And then, you know, through social media or whatever, you'll see certain counties in neighboring states see that it's working for them, let's try it here. Then that spreads and spreads and suddenly, you know, a majority of the country, unlikely all the country, but the majority of the country might see it as beneficial and it becomes law. That is it unless is. some, uh, you know, president puts an executive order against it. Yeah, I was gonna ask it, have we ever gone an episode of this podcast and not mentioned UBI? No, we have once or twice. I don't, <laughs> I don't think we have. Honestly, yeah. It's, yeah it's a good idea. It should be it's a such thing. a good idea. It's a, it's, it's a good idea. Yeah, stuff. great idea. <laughs> yeah. If not in the government, then certainly among the states. You know, Definitely. Yeah. Um, did we have anything else we wanted to add before we close out? <laughs> I feel like we missed more multiculturalism and move more into government. <laughs> that's how it always works here. I think no that's how podcasts go. Okay. That's how it goes. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, cool. So thanks for Anish for being on. And <laughs> yeah. um, hopefully we can have you back again. It was a, a good conversation. Um, and uh, we'd love to see you in your Bhutanese flag again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love talking about, you know, government and countries and, and just people and, and how we change as, as, a, as a world in general. And yeah, I'd love to come back.
Great. All right. Bye, All everyone. Right. See you.